the Playful. Welcome to the podcast with no limits. Whether it be sports, current events, or random thoughts, this is the place to step in and stay a while. Your host is a proud alumnus of Rio Hondo Prep, a former minor league baseball umpire, and a man with strong opinions. Welcome to the Get Home Safe podcast and your host, Matt Persima. Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of Get Home Safe. It is Monday, June 14th. Actually, it's Sunday. I'm recording Monday's show tonight on Sunday at the end of the weekend. And this is actually the third time trying to record this today on Zoom. Got about 10 minutes in and and Zoom crashed. So that's life. We compensate. We adjust. We do what we got to do. So uh, maybe on take two here, it'll be a little bit better. Take three, actually. But uh, anyway, happy to be here. Happy to have a podcast episode out for you guys today uh, regarding uh, some of the sports topics around the, the, the country. We have uh, a Suds with Studs segment that I want to get to here rather quickly. And, uh, you know, I'm going to be talking a lot about uh, college baseball, a lot of college baseball uh, with the Super Regionals. Uh, I got a few comments on the hockey Final Four. It was big UFC uh, fight card over the weekend that I want to touch on a bit. And uh, I don't know how long the show is going to go today. Maybe a little shorter. We'll see. But, uh, you know, I just want to say happy uh, Monday to everyone out there. Happy June. If you haven't had a chance to check out our podcast from last Friday, had a great time talking to Brad Hole, a uh, Cal State Florida baseball fan and contributor about the opening uh, coaching head coaching position upcoming some candidates. One candidate we forgot to talk about was Joe Turgeon, who is a head coach in Concordia University in Irvine former Fullerton player and a guy that I think would be a great fit at Cal state Fullerton at, as the head coach, Joe is a guy I've umpired a few of his games actually. And, you know, he's a guy that he's pretty quiet, which all, you know, umpires love and respect, but he's a guy that his, his silence is, is sometimes deafening. Like he has total control of his team, his players. And uh, you know, I think he's a really tough competitor that should at least get an interview for that Cal state Fullerton head coaching job. So if you want to hear more Titan baseball talk, be sure to check out last Friday's episode with Brad Hole. I know last week I had talked about Mike Gashopo, the uh, San Diego County Sheriff coming on the program Friday. His episode has been recorded already, and it will, in fact, be this Friday. I thought with some of the discussion Brad Hole and I had regarding college baseball in the postseason that it was a little more fitting for last Friday. So that's why there was kind of a switch in the schedule, but uh, that's kind of a heads up for you guys. Uh, here moving forward. So still working on other interviews, trying to reach out to some people and get them to find time to record with me. It's not always easy, but it is what it is. People are busy. People are maybe hesitant on on jumping on here. I totally get it, but I want to try to have a guest every Friday if possible. It is Monday. So you guys know today is just me. It's just me talking about talking about the, the sports from the weekend. Maybe some other other random thoughts I have. But uh, one thing we try to do most Mondays is the Suds with Studs segment. And we call it Suds with Studs because we talk about someone that we would love to sit down and have a beer with. And not just by the first round, but every single round. We talk about a lot of heroes, people in military, people in uh, law enforcement. And unfortunately, there's there's been some law enforcement who have uh, suffered quite a bit this year. And, and as far as our veterans go, uh, some veterans uh, have done tremendous things and they're, they're still around and some of them lose their life in combat. We talk about everyone, everyone we can from uh, wars that were long ago, uh, events long ago, maybe some people that are, that are no longer with us. 
But uh, regardless, we try to put out a nice little story, a nice little brief description of somebody that I always encourage you guys to check out at some point during the week or whenever. So today, uh, I want to, for our honoree for the Suds with Studs segment, we're going to get right to it. Uh, I want to talk about Petty Officer First Class Louis Fonseca, who uh, was the Navy's most decorated corpsman. Uh, after running through gunfire to save five Marines uh, back in Iraq, uh, he, he's a winner of the Navy Cross, which is the second highest honor to the, only the Medal of Honor. And he recently retired retired, retired from the Marines, and I want to uh, honor him today. I've told you guys about the Task and Purpose Facebook page. It's also a website, but they always put out some really good stories about military personnel. So I encourage you guys to like that page, give it a look. And uh, that's where I got today's story from. It's a little lengthy, a little longer, but uh, I, I thought I would read it to you guys because I think it's, it's important. So this is a, an article written by James Clark on May 20th of 2021. So uh, just a few days ago, two weeks ago, really. And uh, this is about, um, this is again about Louis Fonseca, who retired as uh, the most decorated corpsman in the Navy. So uh, let me get right to it. This is uh, our Suds with Stud, Studs honoree, Louis Fonseca, today on Monday, June 14th. Louis Fonseca said farewell to the service during a ceremony on May 14th, about 18 years after his acts of heroism on March 23rd, 2003, for which he was awarded the Navy Cross for Valor, an award second only to the Medal of Honor. When he was a 23-year-old seaman apprentice on his first deployment to Iraq during the Battle of Nasiriyah. That day, Fonseca ran through a wall of lead, not for accolades or to take position from Saddam Hussein's army, which had yet to fully dissolve and transition into an insurgent force, one that would harry the U.S.-led coalition in Iraq for years to come, but it was to save lives of Marines, to save his Marines. The battle, a major one of the onset of the war, pit roughly 5,800 Marines and sailors against a hybrid force of Iraqi troops who relied on a combination of conventional units from infantry to armor and artillery and irregular tactics to sow discord and hammer the American forces with salvos of rockets and mortar fire quickly following an ambush. The Battle of Nasseria was, in a word, brutal. But the Marines and sailors of Fonseca's unit, Charlie Company, 1st Battalion, 2nd Marine Division, 2nd Marine Regiment, persevered, though it came at great cost. By the day's end, 18 Marines from Charlie Company had fallen, and more lives would be lost before the battle was over, nearly a week later. While assigned to an amphibious assault vehicle platoon and Charlie Company, Fonseca's unit was tasked with seizing a bridge into the city of Nasseria. What at first seemed a straightforward mission quickly devolved into violent chaos as all hell broke loose. During the operation, an amphibious assault vehicle called an Amtrak in the Corps was hit by a rocket-propelled grenade and five Marines were wounded. Then the call went out, as it has on battlefields many times before and since. Corpsmen up! The job of a corpsman is to go through hell and back for your Marines, Fonseca said in a November, 20, November 2004 Department of Defense news release. My brothers needed me, so I was going to be there for them. With his weapon in hand, Fonseca grabbed his medical supplies and rushed the hill, the still smoldering vehicle. The injured had been pulled from the wreckage and incoming fire rained down. Fonseca quickly established a casualty point collection point, an area of relative safety or as safe as you can make it. 
where he where the wounded can be treated. And that was what Fonseca did. He got to work. I noticed I had two patients with partial lower leg amputations, one with flash burns to his eyes and all had shrapnel wounds, Fonseca said in a 2008 Pentagon press release. I applied tourniquets on the two Marines with the partial leg amputations and instructed the other Marines around to apply battle dressings on the others that were wounded. As Fonseca tended to the wounded, the battle raged all around him. He knew they couldn't stay where they were during a firefight. Remaining still or static is deadly. In an interview with the LA Times several months after the battle, Fonseca reflected on the fighting and the dangers he faced, saying he recalled thinking, quote, I know there's a bullet with my name on it. I'm going to do my job until I get hit. Fonseca decided to move the injured to another Amtrak that had been designated as a casualty evacuation vehicle for ferrying the wounded away from battle. But as he headed to the other Amtrak to coordinate the evacuation, that too was struck by enemy fire and disabled. Fortunately, reinforcements soon arrived, as did another vehicle to take the wounded. But it was nearing maximum capacity and could take all but one Marine. Quote, I picked up the last Marine and carried him to a ditch, Fonseca said. The Marine and I sat in the ditch for about 30 minutes before I could get another vehicle to pick us up and drive us out of there. Eventually help arrived and Fonseca handed off his last charge to other waiting Marines and corpsmen. Yet the battle was far from over. Fonseca turned and headed back to the fight, rejoining his platoon and his Marines once more. Once the fighting began to die down, a Marine in Fonseca's unit, Gunnery Sergeant Myers, approached the young corpsman. As Navy Times reported in August 2018, Myers had once said to Fonseca, quote, I'm only going to tell you this once. I don't like corpsmen. Stay out of my way. By the time he came up, by this time, he came up and gave me a big hug, Fonseca told Navy Times. With pride in his voice, he said, Doc, you did one hell of a job. Ura Marine, he became one of my biggest mentors. For his heroism and composure under fire on August 11, 2004, Fonseca was awarded the nation's second highest decoration for valor, the Navy Cross. Years after the battle, Fonseca's retirement ceremony was held on May 14th at Marine Corps Recruit Depot, San Diego, California, where he was assigned to Navy Medicine Readiness and Training Command, San Diego. The number one thing I've learned in my Navy career is to give others an opportunity, Fonseca said at the retirement ceremony. Every time I've failed in my Navy career, there was always a leader that gave me an opportunity to bounce back from it, which has made me the resilient and strong person I am today. After nearly 22 years of service, Fonseca bid farewell to the Navy during a joint retirement ceremony with his wife, Christina, who is also a petty officer, first class, and a corpsman. In light of all the accolades, it's Fonseca's humility, his formidable drive, courage, and above all, his undying devotion to the Marines that stands out most. It's a perspective that was hard-earned and one likely shared by those who have seen violence and death up close, yet carried on in spite of the fear they undoubtedly felt. Quote, one day you will die, Fonseca previously said. It could be today, 
it might not be for 100 years, but one day you will die. And the only thing that I ask of you, the only thing your Marines will ask of you is to just do your job until that day comes. Well, it goes without saying, but uh, Mr. Fonseca, you are an absolute uh, example to all of us. You're a hero. Uh, God bless you for your service, uh, being there for others who were wounded, going back into battle, carrying Marines out of battle. I mean, uh, what more can you say about this incredible person? Congrats on retirement. Absolutely well-deserved. And you are an example of the many types of people we want to talk about here on our Suds with Studs segment on Mondays. And I got to tell you what I took from this is, you know, a lot of us, we have tough weeks, we have tough days where maybe things aren't going exactly as planned. And maybe it seems hard, right? Well, when you hear stories like that, it really puts things in perspectives for for us and makes us kind of, I would think have to be a little more clear, clear minded, clear thinking into what exactly adversity is to life and death situations like Fonseca went through. I mean, none of us most of us, I would say, are going to be in that type of position. We're just having a, a tough day at work or, or whatever. So I always encourage you guys, read up on these people. Uh, maybe we can all learn something. And uh, you know, to Mr. Fonseca, you're someone I would absolutely love to sit down and have a beer with, and not just by the first round, but every single round. So God bless you for your service. Cheers. Congrats on retirement. And, and guys, let, uh, again, Mr. Fonseca be an example to all of us out there who might need a little push every now and then, might need a little motivation to not complain, to fight adversity a little bit harder, or whatever the case may be. So I'm looking forward to another Suds with Studs segment next week. And as always, guys, send me some suggestions. I love hearing from you guys. If you have a, a suggestion of someone you want me to talk about or just mention their name, by all means, I'm, uh, I'm all ears. Uh, definitely looking forward to, uh, to hearing from you guys and talk about more heroes because it's, it's truly a blessing and an opportunity to do this uh, each and every week. Okay. Let's talk about some of the sports that have been going on this weekend. You know, you know me, I'm college baseball guy. I love the college baseball postseason, the regionals, the super regionals. Um, as I record this on Sunday night, I got old miss in Arizona playing in game three of the super regional there. The winner goes to the college world series and clay Travis, who you guys know, I love, tweeted something uh, earlier today. He said, you know what? College baseball and college softball are uh, something along the lines of egregiously uh, undercovered. Basically, as I mentioned before with college baseball, it doesn't get much coverage. And that's kind of weird. That is, uh, you know, I don't understand why it's not up there with at least college basketball, maybe not as popular as college football, which I understand, but why it's kind of this lower tier sport. Um, college softball too. I mean, the college, I don't watch women's softball, but uh, I do know that it's pretty exciting. College uh, women's college world series is uh, quite a sight to see too, but uh, I got to talk about college uh, baseball here and a few of the storylines that have uh, occurred here over the weekend. Uh, First of all, Vanderbilt, I told you guys about their pitchers, uh, uh, Kumar rocker and um, Jack lighter, two amazing arms that just uh, dominated their super regional took down ECU without any problems. Uh, those two guys on the mound, I'm telling you, the one-two punch that they have is unbelievable. So uh, th- their games are going to be rather quick, usually, if those two guys are on the hill. So uh, some really good pitching from from Vanderbilt. They're back in Omaha. Stanford, this was a big surprise. Stanford swept Texas Tech in Lubbock and dominated both of those games. Uh, Stanford put up some runs, and for a team that 
not only is in the Pac-12, but in California, where there was a lot of restrictions, a lot of things going on, uh, where they had couldn't get on the field and, and limited scheduling and everything. Uh, you got to really applaud Stanford uh, with their sweep of Texas Tech. Uh, they they beat they beat Texas Tech fifteen to three on Friday night, and then nine nothing on Saturday for the 2-0 sweep and the best of three to advance to the College World Series. So congrats to the Stanford Cardinal, man. Uh, the California lone representative here going back to Omaha for the first time in a while. Uh, pretty big stuff there. Uh, Notre Dame. Notre Dame uh, has since forced uh, a game three in their regional. Uh, they played on, what was it, Saturday, their first game. And I saw this stat and I wanted to, to throw it out there. But uh, they played Mississippi State. And Mississippi State is a, you know, there's no crowd restrictions on most of these regionals, super regionals. And Mississippi State set a record for the highest attended super regional in history. It was 14,000 plus or whatever. For those of you to to kind of compare, those of you who've gone to like Cal State Fullerton baseball games, I think the most people you can get in there is about 4,000. So, uh, but figure about 10,000 more people down in Mississippi state. And that just looks like such a party, man. There's people hanging off rafters and uh, barbecuing and uh, people drinking in the stadium. And just, it's, it's, it looks, it looks like a big league game, man. But anyway, Notre Dame led the nation in fielding percentage. It's one of the top fielding teams in the country. And on Saturday in game one committed four errors, four errors. Maybe uh, the crowd was too big for them. The lights were too bright. I don't know kind of a lesson there but uh four errors they lost game one to mississippi state nine to eight so those those errors did come into play mississippi state could not complete the sweep notre dame came back on sunday and was able to beat mississippi state nine to one so that will be a game three on monday that will be uh, worth watching uh definitely a close game and a blowout so we'll see what happens in game in game three on uh on monday there but a, a good super regional thus far in uh in uh, miss at old Missis- mississippi state i should say uh tennessee the tennessee volunteers they swept lsu and it was paul maneri's last game the head coach for lsu a great 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 career he's had uh L- tennessee excuse me dominated lsu do- actually dominated them uh in in the second game a 2-0 sweep and Nashville, excuse me, Knoxville, Knoxville was rocking, man. So you got Nashville, Tennessee, Vanderbilt Commodores going and in Knoxville, the uh, Tennessee volunteers going to Omaha. So there'll be a, a, a good uh, amount of uh, bars and restaurants in, in the state of Tennessee, watching the college world series for one of those two teams. So Tennessee represented well with both Vanderbilt and Tennessee going to the uh, the super regionals a huge shocker uh, arkansas was the number one team in the country the number one overall seed they struggled in their regional a little bit last week right with nebraska and such well uh, they went to a game three on sunday with north carolina state and it was the wolfpack who beat arkansas the number one seeded team in the country out of the entire 64 team field uh, nc state wins three to two a home run in the top of the ninth inning that uh, that gave the Wolfpack the one-run lead. They would hold on to take down Arkansas in Fayetteville. So a sad uh, a sad scene indeed for the University of Arkansas, who was the number one seed and will not be in fact representing, uh, be represented in Omaha as one of the eight teams. So uh, tough break, tough break for the Razorbacks. But hey, that's uh, that's why you play the games, right? Let's see, uh, Virginia and Dallas Baptist. They're playing a regional, super regional down in. Uh, in, in down in uh, where is the South Carolina University of uh, South Carolina Columbia, the NCAA and their infinite wisdom 
pre only pre-approved certain amount of sites. So it's a neutral site, which is weird, but uh, it was Dallas Baptist who won game one. Uh, that was a uh, Virginia one game two on Sunday. So another game three on Monday, Notre Dame, Mississippi state and Dallas Baptist and Virginia on Monday thus far for the, uh, the super regionals. And uh, additionally, if South Florida can beat Texas tonight, I'm watching it right now, Sunday, Sunday night, if they can even up the series, there'll be another game three on Monday between South Florida and Texas, but Texas has a a good lead in that game so far. It looks like uh, they're on their way to a sweep, maybe of uh, South Florida uh, six to two, they lead uh, Arizona losing or winning right now. But uh, does that cover everything? I think it does. I have a little bit of beef here with the NCAA. Uh, Well, I I usually do. But one of the things I wanted to bring up was in this three-game series, the Super Regional, okay, a team gets to host. So I'm looking here, Arizona and Old Miss. So Old Miss has to travel to Arizona for a three-game series, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, or Saturday, Sunday, Monday, for the Super Regional. Whoever wins two games goes to Omaha. And one of the things they do is they – they uh they rotate who the home team is. So game one, the, the host site, they're the home team. Game two, the visiting team, they get to be the home team. And then what kills me in game three is it's a coin flip. Now, why should a, a team that doesn't have a chance to host, isn't hosting, hasn't uh, had a good enough season to host their Super Regional, why should they be the home team in a decisive game three? I don't understand that. Personally, I think if it, the fact that it's a three-game series, the home team hosting should just be the home team each time. In the regionals, which is the weekend prior, four teams playing double elimination, I kind of understand why they rotate around the home team there, right? I mean, the home team shouldn't be, and you kind of have to, there's four teams, you know, it's mixing and matching. That makes sense to me. Okay. But in a three game series, why have the coin, why let the the visiting team, uh, you know, why should South Florida, who is a four seed and has to play at Texas, why should they be the home team? especially in game three, I'll give you game two. All right. We'll rotate fine. But I just don't understand that. That, that doesn't, the logic is off. Cause then it's like, well, why don't you just play it at a neutral site? Then there should be a reward, not just for not having to travel, but in baseball, the home team matters, right? Getting the last ups, you get the home crowd in your favor and you also get the advantage of batting last. So I don't like that, that, you know, in it's, I'm sure in theory, it's about equality or whatever, being fair, but that's just stupid. I was watching uh, the decisive game three. And in this case, Arizona is the home team. Arkansas was the home team in there. But I'm thinking, man, if it comes down to it in one of these super regionals on Monday, I don't know if they've announced who's home or, or, or visitor yet. The home team should just, there shouldn't be a coin flip. And maybe I've been away from it long enough where that's not the case. But if it is the case, whoever's hosting should be the home team. Come on. Let's not, I mean, let's, let's not try to uh, overthink things here. So uh, a few teams have um, punched their ticket to the college world series, uh, Vanderbilt, Tennessee, North Carolina state, Stanford. Those are the four there. And then uh, there's a few more games going on. Maybe we'll know by tonight. Uh, if two teams end up going to Omaha, two more teams, but uh, it looks like there'll be two game fours, game threes, excuse me, on Monday that, uh, you know, you get a chance to to watch. So for you baseball hungry people out there, there's plenty of uh, more college baseball to watch on a weekday before work, after work or whatever. 
So real quick, I wanted to read to you uh, something. And my brother, Sam, he came over this weekend. We watched the UFC and I'll get to that in a second. Uh, but uh, he came over and he was, you know, yeah. When you started talking college baseball, that was, I just stopped listening. I wasn't, it was, I didn't, that's, I'm not into that. I'm like, okay, well, fine. Uh, I, I understand. But one of the beauties of running a podcast is I can talk about what I want to talk about. And if, you know, I'm not making any money here or anything and revenue wise, this and that, like as far as viewership, I want to talk about things that you guys care about, but uh, mainly I want to talk about things that I care about, things that I like. So uh, that's why I chat about uh, things like college baseball and things. But uh, anyway, uh, yeah, this one's for you, Sam. I I wanted, as we kind of go into the College World Series starting next weekend, I wanted to take a quick look at the the history of the College World Series and kind of honestly, I really do think it's my favorite sporting event. I love March Madness. I love the NFL playoffs. Uh, but I, I, there's something about college baseball, eight teams going for a national championship. I, I don't know. I, maybe the product isn't as great as it once was, or someone argue it's better. Now you play metal bats, but I don't know the atmosphere, the environment. I don't think you can, uh, you can beat it. So uh, I do want to list here uh, teams with the most appearances in the college world series. And I don't think it's uh, that surprising a few of these teams, uh, but Texas has been to the college world series. The most amount of times at 36, the next closest team is Miami with 25. So these are just appearances in the college world series, getting to be one of the final eight teams in the country to play a double elimination tournament to determine who the national championship is. So Texas has a shot to go again this year for the 37th time, Uh, Arizona state and Florida state are tied with 22 appearances. Florida state has not ever won a national championship, but they've been there so many times, 22 to be exact. And uh, they seem to always be kind of in the mix. Uh, Their head coach recently retired uh, a couple of years ago, Uh, a true, a true gentleman, uh, coach Martin, Mike Martin, uh, who really, has done great things with that program, but they've never been able to get over the hump and, and win a national title. Uh, University of Southern California, 21 appearances in the College World Series. It's been a while for the Trojans, though. It's been a while. They Their program has kind of fallen uh, off the map there for uh, quite some time. Oklahoma State has been to College World Series 20 times, and both LSU and Cal State Fullerton have been to Omaha 18 times. Just giving you guys some perspective here of – the teams in the uh, basically the big picture of, uh, of college baseball, the teams that are always there at the end. Uh, Arizona has been to the Omaha 17 times, Stanford right below them at 16. So Stanford now with 17 because they have uh, one to determine, they've won uh, today or yesterday, whatever day it was, to go to their 20, or excuse me, 17th College World Series. So they tie Arizona. Arizona is winning currently. They might win to. Uh, go to their 18th and join Cal State Fullerton and LSU as members of the 18 time club. Okay, uh, right below that, uh, we have Clemson and Florida have each been to Omaha 12 times, South Carolina 11. And these last four teams I'll mention have been to the College World Series 10 times Mississippi State, North Carolina, Northern Colorado, and Oklahoma. I looked up Northern Colorado because I was like, how in the world did they go to Omaha 10 times? But they had a nice run there in like the 50s into the 60s uh so i found that rather interesting but those are some of the premier programs in college baseball uh some of the names you recognize some are kind of a little different like oh, how how come they're good in that sport and not others you know but uh a lot of those teams again will be back again this year now quickly i want to mention 
the teams that have won the most national championships. I said USC went to Omaha 21 times. They actually have the most championships as well, 12. So you think about that, 12 national titles out of their 21 appearances in the College World Series. Pretty impressive. Uh, But you got to hear this about USC. The majority of their championships came in the 60s and 70s, all but, let's see, all but three of them in the 60s and the 70s. So nine of their championships in that 20-year span. USC hasn't won a national championship in baseball since 1998. Their first national championship was 1948. So uh, for the Blue Blood program at USC, it's just kind of, they're, they're kind of just became this mediocre program. Now it's really, really weird. It would be like Alabama just not ever being in, in a bowl game or, or, you know, national championship picture or Duke basketball. Who, who else has run a lot in basketball, North Carolina, Kentucky. It would be like them just vanishing for years, which is kind of what SC has done with their baseball pro- program. Uh, but maybe they'll turn it around. I can't see why not. So 12 championships for USC, Texas and LSU are the next closest with six each. So Texas and LSU uh, each with six gives them 12, which is what SC has, but Texas, their first title was in 1949. And their last one, most recent was 2005 LSU. They kind of had some really great teams in the nineties started with a national title in 1991, won four titles actually in the nineties and then one in 2000 and 2009. Uh, Arizona State has won the national championship five times, although they haven't won it since 1981. They won two in the, let's see, three in the 60s, one in the 70s, and one in the 80s. So uh, it's been a while for Arizona State. They're usually in the mix. They're there towards the end and everything, but haven't uh, won a national title in uh, quite some time. What is that? 40 years it's been crazy. Uh, Cal State Fullerton and Miami and Arizona, each with four national championships. Arizona won a few years ago. Yeah, 2012. Uh, Miami won most recently in 2001, and it was Cal State Fullerton winning in 2004. They they won in 79, 84, 95, and 2004. So Fullerton kind of had a nice little one every uh, 10 years or so on average, and uh, they haven't won a game in Omaha since 2006, which is crazy, but uh, Miami, good program, Arizona, great program, and Arizona has a chance, again, to get back to the College World Series and maybe uh, hang another national title there. Okay, start to get down to uh, a few less teams here with multiple titles, but Minnesota won the national championship in uh, 1956, 1960, and 64. So uh, three titles for the Golden Gophers, three titles also for Oregon State, won back-to-back in 2006 and 07, and again in 2018 a few years ago. Uh, there are, let's see, one, two, three, six teams who've won two national titles, Cal, Michigan, Oklahoma, Stanford, back-to-back 87, 88, uh, South Carolina, back-to-back 2010, 2011, and two championships for Vanderbilt, finally won in 2014 and again in 2019. Uh, so they're looking to repeat really as national champs because remember there was no uh, College World Series in 2020, so they are the defending champions. Uh, there's a bunch of teams here with one national title. I will read them off and really no order or anything, but Holy Cross, Missouri, Wake Forest, Oklahoma State, Ohio State, Wichita State, Georgia, Pepperdine, 1992, beat Cal State Fullerton in a game, uh, in the final game of the College World Series. Uh, but uh, Rice, Fresno State, magical team in 2008. I was there, got to see them play. That was unbelievable. UCLA finally uh, getting over the, the hump in 2013. 
Virginia in 2015, Coastal Carolina in 2016, and Florida with their first title in 2017. So that's just kind of a rundown of a history of the College World Series that I wanted to talk about because it's my show and I, and I get to do it. So hopefully that gets you fired up a little bit for the College Baseball College World Series here. The greatest show on dirt, as they say, in, uh, in Omaha, Nebraska. So anyway, I talked about the uh, appearances. I talked about, I think it's stupid that they do a game three coin flip. So that's about it. I'll move on from that uh, for now with uh, college baseball. But if you're, you know, there's plenty of games going on and there's typically of the eight teams, there's two separate four team brackets and the four teams play each other until they're two losses and the other bracket is four teams playing each other and you know two and then you'll have one winner out of each bracket and they play in a three-game series for the national championship that's how that works so kind of a repeat of the regional and super regional but you get about two games a day starting i think saturday the 19th uh so for about i don't know uh 10 days you get college big college baseball games that uh, that matter uh two a day generally Okay, UFC 263 was on Saturday night, and the the uh, main event was Israel Adesanya, who is uh, quite the fighter himself. Um, he really dominated his uh, his opponent. He, he it wasn't even really close. Uh, my, I'll say this about um, Israel Adesanya: he's 21 and one now. He's a middleweight uh, title fight. He fought Marvin Vittori, who was a uh, Italian fighter. Um, Israel Adesanya is a little, he's a little cocky for me in this sense. Most fighters, as I said before, are, you got to have a little swagger to you. You got to be able, you can talk smack, right? It's the only sport really in combat sports where you can really get away with it. Talking smack and this and that. But there was a few things Adesanya did after the fight that I didn't really like. I mean, Adesanya hit Vittori uh, accidentally in the eye, eye poke. He also had a low blow with a kick. And, uh, you know, he felt bad, I'm sure, for doing those. But at the end of the fight, he was, like, making fun of Vittori for those two situations. He was, like, mockingly grabbing his eye and mockingly grabbing his groin that he got kicked low. And I was like, if you don't like the guy, I mean, I don't know. To me, those were illegal illegal shots. You shouldn't be joking around about it. That's just me. I mean, have all the swag and, you know, cockiness you want. But to kind of rub it in like that, I, I – one of the things I love about fighting is you see the sportsmanship afterwards. And even when they're shaking hands and Vittori, you know, maybe he thought, I don't know, he thought he won the fight or, or was in it. Even uh, when the judges scorecards are being read Adesanya is like mocking Vittori. Maybe some people love that. It didn't sit well with me. Israel Adesanya is a very talented fighter, super long and lanky. I mean, Vittori took him to the ground a few times and I thought Adesanya was in trouble, but he squirmed out of it, showed some good ground game. But he is just such a striker, man. He's so long and, and can just kick you all day long uh, with this those low low leg kicks. And um, anyway, it wasn't all that exciting of a fight for a main event. The best fight of the night, I thought, was the the co-main event. It was Brandon Moreno who defeated uh, Diverson Figure Figueredo. Excuse me, twenty and two and one, or now twenty two and one. Um, and it was Brandon Moreno who won the title, won the belt. And it was really special seeing the raw emotion from him, his family. They came up on this, on, uh, on um, the, uh, excuse me, in the octagon to celebrate with him. Uh, good looking family, good looking family indeed. And I, and I, you know, three daughters, I think, and, uh, you know, young wife, I think he's 27. I could be wrong. You could just see the joy in their faces. And I love seeing that. 
anytime family celebrates with, uh, with, with a champion or in some sport is it's cool, but it's something about fighting. You can just, you can just tell all the work, all the, the emotion that you put into something in training to finally achieve a goal, uh, is truly, truly uh, remarkable. So, um, I, I couldn't believe this and maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I misheard it, but for Moreno to be the first Mexican world champion in UFC, that absolutely shocked me because there's so many great Mexican boxers, right. Who've been champions in boxing. Um, I was like, man, UFC, I guess there. And, and the, the beauty of the fighting game is it's international, right? People from Brazil, people from uh, America, Canada, the UK, uh, all over uh, Africa. I mean, just so many people, very diverse. It's a very diverse sport. And when I hadn't heard that there hadn't been a Mexican champion yet, that just, that really shocked me. So I, I don't know if I heard that incorrectly or not, but uh, to, to Brandon Moreno, God bless you, man. Uh, very sincere emotion out there with his, uh, with his celebration and congrats to him and his family. Uh, the other big fight of the night was none other than Nate Diaz. And Nate Diaz has been a guy that's fought for a long time. I don't pretend to know everything about this sport or all the backstories and everything, but Nate Diaz fought his 34th professional fight in, in UFC. Anyway, uh, he did lose. He lost to Leon Edwards, who's now 19 and three. Uh, it did go the distance, but what a, what a fight it was. Diaz, the dude was just bleeding profusely i mean it, it was unbelievable i couldn't it looked like someone took a machete to his head i think that was what joe rogan actually said on the broadcast but the dude's bleeding all over the place looked like he's getting beat up pretty good for three or four rounds but in the late fourth round and into the fifth round even towards the end of the fight dude was just a warrior just you could tell he gets the respect he does from fight from fight fans because the dude is is in there to win but he's more in there to showcase that uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna fight for all I got. Everything, everything within me, I ain't gonna stop. So I thought that was really really cool to see. I thought he had a chance to knock out Leon Edwards uh, when Edwards was a little wobbly, and I thought Diaz was being a little kind of cocky, like egging him on when he could have attacked him. But I think his his leg was hurting a little bit as well. Uh, if you haven't had a chance to at least look up what Nate Diaz looked like after the fight. I couldn't believe how much blood there was. It looked fake. It looked like someone put fake blood all over him for like a Halloween costume or something, but it didn't slow him down too much. He was, he was there battling and uh, he's definitely worth the price of admission for, uh, for every time he gets in the octagon. So that was, that was kind of the Saturday night, got home and watched that fight card, had a good time. And uh, yeah, I enjoyed, enjoyed the fight card. Uh, the main event wasn't all that great, but uh, it was nice to see UFC again. 263 and it was in arizona in arizona same as florida same as texas open up no masks full attendance i thought it was awesome i know uh they're coming to las vegas soon and uh man it's just nice to see every week little by little i'm watching games here now and and people out there full crowds no masks i think it's great maybe you disagree with me but i like that we're headed uh closer to normal than we would for uh, for uh, perhaps uh, other uh, other times in in most recently the uh, the past few months. Um, NHL they are down to their final four in the uh, that they, they, I think they're calling it the Western Conference Finals or the the um, Eastern Conference Finals. I think they're calling it the 
uh, Stanley Cup semifinals this year. And uh, that's understandable because of the realignment thing and everything. But anyway, they're down to four teams, the Tampa Bay Lightning and the New York Islanders. Uh, Islanders took a one to nothing game, uh, one to nothing lead in the series against the Lightning, who, uh, if you remember, are actually the defending champions. Remember last year, it was the Tampa Bay Lightning winning and then the Tampa Bay Rays going to the World Series and then the Tampa Bay Bucks. So quite, uh, quite a fun time to be in in that uh, region of the country. So uh, they're down one game to, to none so far. The New York Islanders, um, you know, you almost forget they're there, right? Because of the New York Rangers. And uh, there's also a New Jersey Devils. So the the, the New York area really has a, uh, a plethora, I'll say, of hockey teams. But the New York Islanders uh, have, the, have the lead in that series. So we'll see uh, what happens there. Excited about that. And then in the other semifinal, the Las Vegas Golden Knights, that series starts Monday, they are playing the Montreal Canadiens. So uh, whoever wins those two series will match up, meet up in the Stanley Cup Finals starting in, I don't know, a week or so, two weeks maybe. So exciting times to see hockey getting down to the uh, to the wire here. I actually flipped on the third period of the uh, the game on Sunday between the Islanders and the Lightning. The Lightning got it within one and had a chance with under a minute, but couldn't quite get it done. Arizona putting up some runs here in the Ole Miss Super Regional or the uh, Arizona Region Super Regional against Ole Miss. Looks like they took a 6-1 lead. Nice. Way to go, Wildcats. Uh, You know what I often do? I don't know if you guys do this. When I watch sports, especially college, the first thing I often think of is like a friend of mine who either went to that school or is a fan of this team, you know. Uh, Arizona. I think of my buddy Garrett Patterson, who was a former minor league baseball umpire. He went to U of A, and uh, I remember when they won College World Series a couple of years ago. He was pretty fired up. Um, Trying to think, of, I don't know. Usually West Coast teams. I, I know someone who went to that college, but I'll think of it in other ways too. Uh, Dane Ritaski, my my buddy, who's been on this podcast. He he went to Auburn. He's a guy I think about with Auburn. Um, a lot of people I know who went to USC, UCLA, Jordan. Ra- I mean, when I see teams playing and i know that these guys probably aren't even watching really maybe they are maybe they aren't but it's just something i do you know uh even the teams i hate i i have i know a lot of 49er fans right and i i see that and you know or or a random yankee it could be anything but that's just something i do i often look and i'm like oh yeah but i bet so and so's happy that's the first thing i think about if if i'm kind of neutral on the game when i flip a game on i'm like oh i bet uh uh, what's another uh, example? Uh, uh, anyway, it doesn't matter. But I, that's what I do when I watch sports. Uh, I don't know if you guys do stuff like that. Uh, this was some news. Not really. It was kind of weird locally. My local high school, not Rio Hondo, but the city I grew up in, Glendora, Glendora High School. They they won the CIF basketball championship. I believe it was Division Three. A great basketball program. Great history there. Uh, they haven't won a title since the early 2000s, I think. So uh, congrats to the Glendora Tartans on winning the uh, CIF basketball championship. Really cool to see. Uh, didn't get to watch the game or anything, but I saw that pop up and I said, all right, way to go Glendora. I used to go to a lot of Glendora basketball games as a kid and uh, always, always fun programs. Some great, great players who went there. The Murray brothers, Casey Jacobson, uh, just to name a few. And uh, yeah, great basketball tradition. So congrats to the Glendora Tartans. I talked last week about, my real Hondo prep alma mater and the, the girls team was playing in the, the quarterfinals down in um, or up in, I should say Templeton, I believe the softball team. 
they went up there and they had been winning a lot of close games. And unfortunately they went up there uh, and uh, kind of got uh, kicked around pretty good. Uh, lost, uh, lost the last game of the season, a playoff game. I think it was like 15 to one, maybe. Or, let me see here just to be exact and accurate. Uh, yeah. 15 to one to Lompoc uh, up there, quite a drive and uh, Rio Rio was taken down. So their season comes to an end, but congrats to the, the ladies who played well. I'm sure they'll be back next year as hungry as ever in playing in a non-pandemic uh, year. So uh, big things ahead for the softball program at Rio Hondo Prep. So good luck in moving forward. Um, I think I didn't talk about this yet. The college football playoff expansion. I'm rather excited that there is a potential that they are moving to 12 teams. I was going to be fine and, and satisfied with it expanding to eight teams, but I like the 12 teams even better because it gives your top four teams, um, you know, it gives them a slight advantage over the lower tier teams that might get in, you know, the Boise States of the world, the, uh, the Hawaii's of the world, Utah state and Akron teams like that. Uh, it gives them an edge and rightfully so the big, the big boys in college football, sure they should have an advantage because they're so much better than the smaller programs but i like the fact that it's going to 12 it probably won't go to 16 that'll probably be too much of an expansion but it gives the top four teams that little buy and then it gives the 12 through five seed uh you know they have to play an extra round of playoffs but hey if you want to be better you don't want to play in that round you got to win what is that what would that be four playoff games to be a national title, at least you know the road in front of you and what you got to do. I love the idea. Uh, it gives the small schools an opportunity. I'm always going to, I don't understand why I have 130 plus teams in division one football. If only 10 of them really have a chance at winning a national championship, let's play a real playoff. And yeah, there might be some brutal scores, but you never know, man. I, I've watched college baseball playoffs the past two weekends, and there's been teams I've never heard of who actually even won some games. I mean, South Florida is playing at Texas right now. Imagine if that was a, a football game, even though Texas hasn't been Texas in a few years. I like the idea of the expansion, and I guess later this week they're going to talk about some of the possible um, ways in which the expansion will take place. Do you take conference winners? Is it the, the power five, get the automatic first six, first five seeds. There's a lot of uh, issues that got to be tweaked and, and, and straightened up, but I'm excited for it. It sounds like if this last season taught us anything, it's that maybe football can be played later into December. There's always been those excuses. Well, the students, they have finals. You can't have all these extra weeks of football and this and that. I think with the four team playoff, and the success that it has had, maybe the college football playoff and, and college football thinks this that this will continue to grow. I think it sure will. I mean, what is it? If you go to eight, it's only one more game for teams that will can win a national championship, right? And that and the fact that you throw in 12, you're giving even four more teams a chance. And I know there's guys in here that say, I don't want to watch, uh, you know, uh, Ohio university get killed by Ohio state, maybe in a game, but, but I mean, why not? Why not? What's the worst that happened? Maybe someone gets injured, injured in, in a meaningless game. I don't know, but I love the idea of an expansion. It gives everybody a shot and we live in this age of equality, right? To give everyone a chance. I'm not saying give everyone a prize. I'm not saying give everyone a juice box or a trophy, but it, let people, let people earn 
the right to be somewhere. Let, let people have the opportunity to earn. Don't give anything to anybody. I think that's a bad thing to have, to, a bad way of life, really. But anytime we can allow people an opportunity to earn, to succeed, I think that's wonderful. It's when we start to restrict people or groups or whatever, or don't think other people can meet certain standards. Like to me, that's where we start to go wrong. It's like, no, no, no. Let's make the ground rules. Here's how it is for everybody. And we go from there. I I think it's it's a great uh, opportunity for more exposure for teams who are, you know, playing in lower conferences, smaller tier conferences. Hey, what if we got a shot? What if we had a chance to play, play the big boys in a, the bigger schools in a college football playoff situation? I think it would be great. Yes. The top three teams generally are a cut above all the other teams, but I think for, for teams like five through 12, we could see some pretty good playoff games because everyone kind of fits into a, a group there that I think would be very, very entertaining. So keep your eyes peeled for the, uh, college football playoff uh, expansion, the news there uh, coming up this week. Uh, I saw in a major league baseball game. It's so funny. Uh, I think it was against the Dodgers, actually. Uh, a member of the Pirates, I don't know his name. I'm not going to embarrass him, but he hit a home run and he missed first base. And what was interesting is the Dodgers, I think, originally appealed. And because the baseball is so important, Yes, someone's supposed to be watching the base touch, but if a baseball is close to a boundary, close to the foul pole, if it's umpires have always been trained because not all places have replay, right? All sets of eyes are on the baseball in a baseball trouble, in a trouble situation, basically uh, a wall ball. And in doing so, in this case, the umpire who was supposed to see the touch at first saw the the ball hit like off the wall, hit the foul pole. It was a home run. By the time he looked back, the runner, the batter had already stepped right over first base. So that's a little lesson in umpiring too, that on trouble balls, wall balls, uh, generally all eyes are on that. And you try to glance and get a touch if you can, but yeah, you're supposed to, you know, see, see a touch. Uh, That's why sometimes you saw, yep. I saw the touch and sometimes that's yep. I got him touching. (laughs) you read between the lines there but anyway the guy steps over first base now by rule on proper appeal or in the the dodger case they went to replay and challenged it or whatever uh the 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 runner or the batter in the situation is out if a team appeals that you missed a base you're out you're out on appeal whether it's a home run or not so i think some people got a little insight there as to how the rules of baseball work much like you guys saw, I think earlier in the season, or maybe the second or first day of the season, that Dodger game where it was a home run and there was passing. Uh, so even though the ball's out of the ballpark, it would only win as a single or something like that. But anyway, something as simple as touching a base. Upon appeal, you're out. And there's, there's a lot of base running scenarios that are in the rule book and uh, different plays and things that umpires have to be aware of and learn. But that one's pretty basic. You miss a base, you're appealed, you're out. But it was hilarious to me. Not only were commentators and fans and commenting on things, they, they were talking about not just that the guy missed the base, but it was something a lot. It was like, well, they got to change that rule. 
anytime something goes where, where people don't, I don't know. It's like we have this lack of accountability now in these days. If someone doesn't fulfill something that they should be accountable for, it's like, well, uh, change it. Just change it. That's stupid. You shouldn't hit the ball out of the ballpark and then be out for missing, touching a base. How could, why do they even run the bases? They, they, they're, they're able to take ball four without a pitch being thrown. Why can't they just not even touch the bases? With that, we start to go with that thinking. You're taking away from the very foundation of the game of baseball. I hear people in football all the time talk about the touchback rule where if, you, if you're on offense and you fumble, you're reaching for the end zone, you fumble into the back of the end zone. Why? That shouldn't be a, a touchback for the defense. That's a stupid rule. And it's like, there was a reason the rule went in. And it's part of the, again, foundation of football. Where are you going to put the ball? Any other place you fumble on the field, you fumble that out of bounds, it goes to the, the, the depending on the level of football, it goes to the where the ball went out of bounds, to the offense, or in some cases, come back to the spot of the fumble. But again, to the offense. There's one play that like rewards the defense for making a great play near a goal line, for stopping someone, they get the ball at the 20-yard line. But like people are up in arms about rules when you don't see something very often, or maybe you don't fully understand it. And it's like, it's in there at, it's one of the basic things about the game that you hit the ball and you run the bases and you have to touch the bases. It'd be like, well, why don't let's change it to uh, four strikes. Let's do four strikes. You're out. I mean, where does it end with some of the, 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 the rule changes and things people want to drastically change? I think people overreact. Cause we want to understand and we think it's stupid that a guy hits a home run and then is out because he didn't touch a base. Well, I agree, but it shouldn't, your reaction shouldn't be to change the rule. Your reaction should be uh, touch the bases like everyone else does. You know what I mean? I don't know where this, I just, I always see these norm, these society, these things in society that are constantly changing. And I don't, I don't, I don't love it. Obviously but we have this different approach now with things. That's not fair. What do you mean it's not fair? Hit the ball at the ballpark. All he had to do was touch four bases and it's a run. It's no problem. He wasn't like being oppressed running around the bases or like uh, tricked or something. He stumbled over the base and he knew the ball was out of the ballpark. He could have gone back and touched it like he wasn't in a hurry. So that's on him. I want to, I want to hold people accountable. People always talk about holding officials and umpires and referees accountable, whatever that means, fire someone if they miss a call, whatever, but we don't want to hold like athletes accountable or players who make boneheaded plays like the, in speaking of the Pittsburgh pirates, that that play that happened a few weeks ago where the guy ran backwards the home plate. And then instead of just stepping on the plate, threw the ball away and yeah, that, that whole chaos. So we need to get away from this. Why didn't like something, just change it. Well, let's look at the, let's look at the people who got you in that situation. Let's look at the people who make the mistakes, not drastically change a rule because we don't want guys making mistakes. That would be wrong. Anyway, uh, in, in uh, wrapping up today, I do want to say uh, this is something I thought about. We were watching a little baseball and, uh, it actually, I thought about it when I uh, was watching the fights also Saturday night. And uh, one of the fighters, I think it was Adesanya, came out, his coming out music, not coming, excuse me, that sounds weird, doesn't it? Coming out music, uh, walk-up music, we'll call it. That's what they call it in baseball. When a guy comes to the plate, walks to home plate, 
uh, every guy has a song, right? Whatever your song is, your entrance. Announce your presence with authority. But I, I heard Adesanya's song and it was Somewhere I Belong by Linkin Park from the Me Your album. And I always liked that. It was in like a highlight video thing we did when we were in high school, it was like touchdown passes. I thought it was a great song for that type of thing. But it got me thinking and I asked uh, my brother and Valerie, and I was like, man, what would your guys walk up song be? What would it be like if say you're walking into work, whatever it is, what song would you want to be playing as you kind of come through the doors? Like, Hey, here comes, here comes Matt Hersema. Here comes uh, Joe Johnson. Here comes whatever. Here comes Mike Williams. What, what would be your song? I want to know. I want, I want you, I want some feedback from you guys. I wrote a few down for me that uh, I was off the top of my head again, somewhere I, I belong. I like that one. Um, Simple man by Leonard Skinner. It's one of my favorite songs. It's a slower, but that guitar intro, I absolutely love. And you can play any part of the song, the very beginning, the intro or the chorus, whatever. What would be your walk-up song or maybe a couple of, of, of ideas? Another one I wrote down was uh, Where the Party At. That has a great little, I think it's guitar, guitar intro, the hip hop song. Um, Square Dance by Eminem. Let me, the, the lyrics are not, don't look them up. <laughs> the lyrics are not good. Very bad lyrics, but the intro is pretty pretty cool it's got a little country slash hip-hop vibe to it that i i could see kind of walking up towards home plate hearing that now batting for real hondo prep matt hersema who's gonna strike out in three pitches but what would be your walk-up song what are some songs for you you know i asked you guys a while ago about what are your top sports memories as a fan i think this could be a fun one this could be a fun one for some interaction I'll try to ask Bill Barnes when we record, Hey, Bill, what would be your walk-up song? What are, what are a couple? Uh, it could be, and it's funny. The dire- I think it would be funny the direction people go. Uh, do you go hip hop, hip hop? Do you go country? Put it this way. I've, I've umpired a lot of baseball games and every home team has this. Well, most I should say where they announce the batter and that batter, his song uh, come, uh, plays briefly while he walks to home plate and he's being announced. And I've heard some good ones. I've heard country songs. I've heard hip hop. I've heard uh, rock. I've heard some songs that I heard a guy. I was like me and Todd Carson. There was this, there was a song. Who was a, was a Cal State Fullerton guy. We kind of liked the, the song that he walked out to. And it was a nice little weird kind of weird uh, song that he walked up to, at least that portion of it. We're like, what song is that? And we looked it up and it was just like absolute deplorable lyrics and the rest of the song wasn't great, but so it doesn't have to be a great song. It could just be a little brief rift, maybe a song that you find inappropriate even, but it has a good catchy tune that would be appropriate for you walking up to home plate, you know, or coming out of the tunnel as you're about to get in the ring and and, uh, the octagon and fight. Or in like most of our cases, just uh, when we show up to our job, you know, (laughs) Sound kind of funny if you're walking up there and uh, uh, and the, your song came on and okay now coming into work today uh, in his usual cubicle doing the same thing he does every day, Mister Whoever. I think I pick it over, send a few my way. You can have uh, I don't know two or three songs. What would be some good walk up songs? Send those to me and I will. Uh, share them with you guys 
on next Monday's show, if I remember, which I, I should, I should remember. Uh, but yeah, send hopefully I want interaction. I always encourage you guys get, let's get some interaction on this podcast, man. You don't just want to hear me ramble for an hour on Mondays. Do you let's get some feedback from you guys. I want to hear some voice message. I want some emails, you know, what? get home, safe podcast at yahoo.com. Send me some emails, reach out through social media, the voicemail. I thought we'd get a lot more voice messages, voicemails on, uh, the podcast here now that we've been doing it over a year come on like a call like a call-in show let's hear the voice if you don't want your voice heard heard i get it it's fine but send in a, you can be anonymous too send in something random random that's another thing this show is all about random thoughts right so by all means it could be anything but what i'd like to do this week send me what would be your walk-up song what would it be and why is it the beat is it you know, I remember, again, I talk about my buddy Todd all the time. We were in an alumni game and someone, he came in to pitch or whatever. And, and, uh, someone played eye of the tiger, that little guitar, you know, by journey, is it journey, I think, or I don't know. I'm probably not journey. Who, who plays eye of the tiger, but yeah, he said after he, it, he said it like fired him up. He said, yeah, when they played eye of the tiger, I, was, I knew it was over. I went into another gear. I don't know if he remembers that, but I do. So uh, Survivor, not Journey. Come on, Matt. Brutal, brutal reference. What would be your walk-up song and why? And to everyone out there listening, I see how many people listen. I know some of you have opinions. Some of you have responses, maybe some topics, whatever. Send us an email. Let's get this show. Come on, let's get, let's get it fan-driven here. You guys know my opinions and my thoughts. Ask me some random questions too. I'll try my best to answer them. I know Bill Barnes loves questions, but let's get some stimulating uh, conversation here. Not just this constant monologue that you guys hear on Mondays. Okay. Capiche voice message. I want to hear some other voices other than the ones I have. Look at the episode notes, the bottom of every episode note, uh, at least not on YouTube, but on the uh, audio portions. In the episode note description, it'll say, send a voicemail. It's super easy. Click on that, hit record, one minute limit, boom. Your voice is sent in to the Get Home Safe podcast. And I can play it over the air if you should so desire. All right, guys, that'll wrap it up. Be sure to join us Wednesday for the Bill Barnes on the weekly Wednesday WAN. He'll be back with some more strong opinions and we'll have another fun show. Last week, we, we had some fun with some refreshments and things. I told him we're going to try to maybe do that once a month where we uh, have a happy hour, we'll say. Uh, while we record the weekly Wednesday weigh-in. But uh, the retired police officer will be here with us on Wednesday and on Friday. We'll be joined by a current law enforcement uh, officer, a San Diego County Sheriff deputy, to be exact, uh, Mike Ashopo. And uh, you don't want to miss out on his story, former uh, minor league baseball umpire. He suffered uh, a tremendous, terrible beating in uh, in a jail back in February. Uh, He'll tell us about that story. And what it's like kind of uh, transitioning from umpiring into law enforcement. And he'll also share a story about injecting Mike Socia, former Angels manager, back in spring training and how that all went down. So uh, a few reasons to tune in on Friday's episode, guys. And as always, help me out with more guests. I, I need help. I need to hear from you guys. Um, can't do it all alone. Uh, the ideas I've gotten from a lot of you guys out there have, has just been been awesome. So uh, please, by all means, reach out. You know where to get a hold of me, where to get a hold of the podcast. Look forward to hearing from you, just like you hear from us Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays at the Get Home Safe podcast. Guys, have a great 
rest of your week. We'll be back on Wednesday. But until then, guys, as always, no matter what you're doing, whether you're out on the town or around in third base, get home safe. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Get Home Safe podcast. We greatly appreciate the support. We know we have a lot of loyal listeners out there, but we always want to keep people informed of the many ways to follow the Get Home Safe podcast. We have various social media platforms. Our Twitter handle is Get Home Safe Pod. Our Facebook and Instagram page is Get Home Safe Podcast. And our email address is Get Home Safe Podcast at yahoo.com. There's plenty of ways and options to listen to the get home safe podcast anchor helps distribute our podcast to places like apple spotify google and many more we also have a youtube channel that is brand new for us not a whole lot of content on there yet but we're going to try to put out more and more video episodes in going forward as well as short clips here and there regarding uh, big events that happen uh, over the course of time so lots of options out there guys we'd love to hear from you send us an email offer uh, some suggestions or contact the topics or uh, just ask us some random questions. We always appreciate that. I know Bill Barnes does, especially on Wednesdays. So uh, looking forward to continue to bring you great episodes here on the Get Home Safe podcast on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Guys, have a great rest of the week. And as always, no matter what you're doing, whether you're out on the town or around in third base, get home safe. Mm-hmm.